So today on How I Scaled My Team, uh, Shachar and I are really happy to host uh, and welcome to the show Lotte Vester, Head of Organizational Strategy at Asana. Hey, Lotte. Hey, thanks for having me. So Lotte, first thing, um, Lotte is a um, natural American name. Where'd you grow up? <laughs> yeah, no, you, you, you probably would guess uh, something differently. I was, I was born and raised in the Netherlands, but I, I moved uh, to the US pretty early in my career. I spent about uh, 15 years here in a variety of finance roles as an individual contributor, but also managed large teams. And then over the years, I got more involved in strategy and, and operations. It's quite unique, by the way, when I looked at your LinkedIn profile, many years in uh, um, deep finance. You went to college, you studied hotel management, if I remember correctly, and then into finance and from finance into corporate strategy, which is quite interesting. Yeah, take us through that journey briefly. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. I, I, but I started my career outside of tech at Nielsen and, and indeed in, in finance. I was a financial analyst in my first role. And Nielsen was an established global data company. You know, I moved around quite a bit in that uh, organization in the 10 years I was there. So it was a good experience for me to see how a really big global company works, but in some ways also how challenging it was to remain innovative. After Nielsen, I went to Lonely Planet, the travel guidebooks, and I was lucky to move into tech about seven years ago, first at, at Facebook and, and now at Asana. You know, and having the experience, the, the contrast in all those companies, uh, I think has given me a good vision on the growth process and what's what's needed to scale and what the challenges are and uh, how to keep a healthy growth mindset. So and it's it's also very applicable in my day to day work at Asana. And for those that don't know Asana yet, we're a SaaS company. We, we help organizations manage work and projects across teams. Um, and our, our mission is to help humanity thrive by enabling the world's teams to work together effortlessly. It's a very interesting journey uh, you, you're having there, Lotte. And I would really like to kind of rewire three years ago about, you know, uh, when you were at Facebook, um, where you worked as a global planning and operations manager. What was the team like when you joined? How did it scale over the years? Uh, what was it like when you left? It wasn't a small company anymore when I started, but it still felt very scrappy and it was moving really fast. And I, you know, I, I clearly remember my first week. So as an employee, you, you kind of experience it from day one. They, they used to say you get on a rocket ship when you join. And that, that was an accurate description. You have a very intense week of onboarding and then you are quickly ramped up and sort of expected to make an impact. And I was coming from an environment where, you know, things were a lot slower. You, you take the time to build plans, reflect on scenarios. But, but at Facebook, the default was to, to move fast. One of the key values was actually move fast and break things. So it's, it's kind of like giving people the freedom to, to make decisions and, and move ahead. And most importantly, I think it was really okay to make mistakes. It was actually expected. Like if you don't make mistakes, you're probably not moving fast enough, right? And that concept, I think, can be very valuable for, for companies as you grow and try to keep people focused on, on execution and, and scrappiness. Um, and it, it, it stimulates innovation. So if I think about Facebook, and obviously Facebook is um, a tremendous growth story in all aspects, and you know, it's hard to compare it to anything else. And obviously, even Facebook scale, which you know, uh, was exponential to your, uh, to your point, didn't happen overnight. It took time. As you reflect back, knowing what you know now, you know, you know, looking at organizational strategy and now trying to reflect back seven years, what do you think was really unique from an organizational structure? What are the changes that allowed to contain and enable that fast growth? 
looking back uh, in, you know, again, my limited vision if in, in the group that I was in, I think it was just really fast, efficient and, and effective as well in the hiring and onboarding of people. Like managers were very focused on growing their teams. It was kind of the default, right? You get a lot of new headcount. So new initiatives could be pitched fairly easily and, and regularly throughout the year. And then there was a lot of freedom for, for leaders to just allocate new headcount generously to grow teams and try new things and, and, and take risks. And then, you know, as a, as a manager, once you had the headcount, you could move really fast. You, your hiring was quickly and you could start executing and it, it would stimulate innovation. So it was kind of set up to grow. Uh, and absorb new people quickly. And then, you know, it's it's also a very, very data-driven company. So new ideas would be definitely evaluated on their potential return on investment. But, you know, looking back, I think there was an opportunity for just some better alignment and just maybe more moments of reflection in the in the execution. What were the main the main challenges? Because I'm just thinking about, you know, the amount of time that today, you know, and everybody's talking about it, the amount of time it takes from when you post a job and a hiring manager wants to have a new headcount and until the moment that person is actually, you know, giving value or creating value for the team, it takes a lot of months. It can take you know, some managers call it call it a year or six months and and you say people were coming on the team all the time. So, what was what was the friction? What was the challenges? What wasn't working in that kind of scenario of growth? Yeah, I mean, it's almost you can in some ways compare it with teenagers, right? They grow really fast and they have their limbs and they're not they're, their coordination is a little bit off. Their brains catching up, and so there's there's some uh, risks, I guess. But I would say with so with that level of growth, it's really important to make sh- sure your teams are aligned in their in their strategies and 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 goals in the execution. So people were. I think at Facebook there back in the day, they were moving fast and could be focused on individual goal achievement. But I think there wasn't um, maybe enough alignment on the direction at the middle levels. And, and you know, you have an, it's an amazing company, right? So you have a, a leader with a great mission, a leader with a compelling vision. But then in a larger company, you need to translate that to more specific goals in the layers in between. So people need to know specifically how do you want to get there and experience that to be somewhat underdeveloped or disconnected between functions. Uh, there was definitely like a focus on, on key metrics. And, and it, you know, as I mentioned, it's very data driven. But with that fast growth and, and not enough coordination and alignment between larger teams, it, it can get out of balance. And, and over time, what it leads to is duplication. You, you see people reinventing the wheels and then you discover that as you connect with other functions, but also gaps in certain areas. Uh, and then because you grow fast, if you have a small gap, it, it can become a big problem. If you think about, you know, you have the opportunity looking in hindsight, your years at Facebook, again, obviously super successful company going through a rough patch now, uh, but obviously not the only company going through a rough patch. Do you think there's, we're seeing these similarities of what happened in the last seven years, companies went on a hiring spree, hiring very fast, thinking growth will never end, the music will never stop and will just keep on growing forever. So efficiencies, you know, for legacy companies, efficiencies for Nielsen, not for, you know, Facebooks and Googles and and the rest of the world. And now uh, there's a lesson to be taught there around, you know, you need to grow, you need to grow fast, but you also need to to grow. Intentionally? Intentionally, maybe. There's a chance to, I think, to have moments of introspection as a company, right? And even if you, you know, you don't have to slow down for that, but be more intentional about the growth. That's exactly what you said. Just avoid getting out of balance uh, and not just 
growth as the only goal, right? But just balance it with uh, with some reflection. Do you have an example of something that you took from that time? We say Facebook today, you know, meta, but um, to, to Asana, to the way um, you build team or, or hire or something that, you know, a, a very kind of profound lesson or kind of thing that you, you took from that period? to the days at Asana? Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and our CEO came from, from Facebook too and was very intentional about the culture as well and, and his learnings. And, I, and that really resonated with me. So at Asana, I'd say there, there's lots of elements I can talk about that are, are somewhat different or, uh, and there's also similarities. But I think we have a fairly flat organization and try to keep that as we grow. And that can help you with faster decision-making and execution. But you just need to make sure it's supported by the right culture, right? Just saying, oh, I have a flat organization will not support velocity. So you need to make sure that people feel comfortable to give and take responsibility and that they, you know, know when to collaborate, how to collaborate. But you kind of give them their own responsibility and you make sure that they feel safe and they have the freedom and the support to move ahead within those boundaries. And the thing I brought up a, a few times is alignment. And I think that's that for me is really key as I look back at Facebook and what we do, I think, well at Asana is to that alignment. We have alignment across our teams. We use our tool for that, but we also use that the OKR process for that. Um, how that works, it's kind of we at Asana, we're mission driven. That's that's kind of baked in our DNA, but it's also what our product is about and how we operate. So we how it works is we have in Asana our own tool. We, we set our company goals every year and then we roll up our team goals and key results. All our functions, so from product to the people team, set those KRs. It's not just business goals. And then we we refine as we go along and as we execute, but we are really getting crystal clear on what we as a company want to achieve in the year ahead. So as a result, like as an employee, I understand what my contribution will be to achieve the company goals. And then the other thing is my projects and daily tasks that are in Asana as well are connected to those company goals. It's, it's what we call the work graph. And it's a way to understand or how, how all those pieces of your work fit together. And that's what kind of creates the clarity um, and, and what allows you to keep a flat structure and to move fast if needed. And, you know, I'd say like how I experienced it as well. And when I joined Asana and, and started working that way, it's just highly motivating. If I, I believe if, if and we see it back in the data and, and the feedback that the employees give us, if people know the direction and have the freedom to move fast, um, you know, then they're able to pivot more quickly if needed. And, and, and it will, you know, it will lead to a success or results all the way from like engagement to execution and, and ultimately the results. Sounds very interesting. And actually, um, we we were at a process of OK, OKRs and um, it's always sounds such a high level process, you know, something that the manager that, you know, high management does. And then you want it to trickle down. You're not sure that everybody understood it. You kind of you go, you go fast forward and, and so on. But I would really love to have an example how you make sure that, you know, each engineer, each product, project manager, product manager, marketing manager really feels and knows how his work is connected to that strategy, to that OKR. Um, because there's a lot of ways to do it and to implement in the everyday. Um, but I'm really interested to know how, like an example of how you do it in Asana. Yeah, no, that's and that's you bring up a great point. And I, I see when I talk to peers and what I've seen in other companies uh, before is 
people would like to say, oh, we're doing OKRs and there are spreadsheets or slides that have the goals, but how do you bring that down to the day-to-day execution, right? So I think a few things are important. Like for us, I've seen if if you have your leadership on board and they're, you know, mission-driven and they're they're supportive of the OKR system, that's like your number one. You need to have your your leadership buy-in. But then the other thing we do, and, and you know, we use the tool for that, but we, we set our company objectives, but then we let our teams create their own KRs. So, you know, there it's not just a tops down, hey, here's what you need to do, but it's kind of a, a co-creation process in some ways where the leaders set the, the general strategic direction, but that the teams help to decide how we're going to achieve that. So they set their own outcomes in like collaboration with the leaders. So that creates, I think, the engagements from the teams. And then, you know, we we make sure that it's in our operational cadence. So we we check in every quarter and we're very open about it. Like everybody can see, you can look in the system in a tool and you can see other people's goals and their progress and see their updates. But you also, you know, every quarter you take time to reflect and say, hey, is this really how we want to spend our time? Do we need to drop anything? Do we add anything? But, it, you know, that creates, I think, a good level of accountability, but also your capability to sort of pivot where you need to make changes. And and that's that's just very powerful. Lotte, you speak a lot about Asana's flat hierarchy, which is uh, um, interesting. And, and obviously, it's, it's been a trend over the last years. When, when you say flat, how flat is Asana? Can you, is it something you can describe or articulate so, so we understand a bit better what really you mean by a flat organization? And how efficient is that? how I would describe it. And it's obviously, you know, it's evolving as we grow bigger, but our starting point is kind of like, we don't have big titles. So when you start at Asana, we don't have a structure which most companies and particularly tech companies have, you know, when you know, like, I'm, I'll be a manager, then I'll be a senior manager, then I get to a director. And, you know, and if my team is this size, I'll be a VP. It's, it doesn't work that way. We kind of don't have the those titles. And we operate more with the idea of like, at Asana, if you're if you're successful and you and you execute well and you you know you're you're doing well, you you take on new responsibilities, and it doesn't have to be within you know it's not like your your team automatically grows, but you could take on new responsibilities that you then have the freedom to to grow and and give direction to. What might be good context is I think that we it's it's part of the bigger culture, right? And and it's so it's not just one element. It only works if you have certain other elements in place and the culture that sort of are aligned with that. So you bring up like, oh, the decision, like, does the CEO need to make decision? You need to have leaders that are open and curious and sort of comfortable giving that responsibility to someone, uh, you know, I guess down the chain. But it's 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 the culture. And I, I, what I'd say as well about Asana is, is we are very intentional about our culture and how how that's been done from from the early days. Right. When our founder started is to say, hey, we've treated the process of developing culture the same as we do creating our product. So we have, you know, you have the phases of design, your implementation, but then you measure and improve. So what we do is we have a a pretty robust voice of employee program, and we use that to determine what's going well and where we need to improve and assess um, the top culture box. Um, And that's across a broad range. So that includes some of the the decision-making as well. So like we check in, like how how great are we at making good decisions fast? But we talk about, you know, management as well. And then when we see there's an issue and we're seeing like, hey, we're not moving fast enough in our decision making, we'll we'll make plans to fix those, similar to what we would do with, with product bugs. And then we're very open about that process. 
And I think, you know, if I think about the values at Asana and compare that what I've seen in previous companies, one of our values is mindfulness. And that, you know, you, you might be like, oh, I, I don't associate that with running a, a business or, or with tech. But uh, really, as I experienced at Asana in the last couple of years, it's uh, it's very powerful. And, it, and that means being deliberate about your decision making and people remain open and curious throughout that process. And I think that also creates the culture that you need for that flat organization. Uh, and that, I think, helps you with that fast growth that we're talking about, just to stay mindful about where you invest your time uh, and resources and, and who you give the decision power and, and keep the focus. And how the fact that we are remote, hybrid, can call it whatever uh, name, is impacting that kind of Asana's culture and the way you guys um, make decisions and the kind of organizational structure that we just talked about? That has been such a hot topic, right, in the, in the past years or since the pandemic. So, yeah, we, we, we look at that, right, because it's so connected to our product as well. And so we did a, an in-depth analysis of how people spend time at work. Um, and that was after, I think, one year uh, in, into the p- pandemic uh, in our what we call annual anatomy of work index. So that was global research we did. And it looked into how people spend their time at work. And I guess most of them being at home, right, working remotely. And then and when we looked at it, there were a whole bunch of uh, interesting trends. But one I think that's relevant here is that we found that people spend less than 10 percent on strategic work. And, and that's was a, I think, 36% reduction from the previous year. So, so what that means is just it's been challenging to for people to get distributed teams on the same page to plan for the future. And, you know, so that's something I, I think emphasizes the need for, for goal setting and making sure your teams are aligned. It's really about clarity of purpose uh, and also that shared sense of accomplishment. So I think uh, OKRs is a, is a great way to help drive that. Beyond the fact people work from home, are you distributing multiple uh, countries, uh, states? How distributed is Asana today? Yes, we're 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 a global company with, a, with about twelve offices worldwide. So we expect people to come in about three days a week. So we are an office centric uh, hybrid model for uh, for our, um, you know return to work after after the pandemic. I, I'm happy with that combination of like having time together with my with my colleagues face to face. I mean, I really see the benefits, and I, I I feel like it's really good to connect with people and sometimes get in a room and quickly brainstorm about something. But it's nice to have the some time to focus uh, on work as well. And we have something called um, No Meeting Wednesdays. Uh, it's, it has been at Asana from the start. And I, you know, that's, uh, that I think is a, is a great element that, ha- that helps with focus. So on Wednesday, you're not expected to schedule any meetings and people are pretty religious about it. And it's, it gives you a good time to just to reflect and, and get to do some deep thinking. Um, and that's the day that most of us work from home. So interesting, um, you know, different question. You know, people come into the office three times a week. We come generally two times a week. People, Some people come more often. Um, some teams are trying to make it three times a week. But when you think about an office centric, if someone walks up and says, hey, you know, I want to work kind of a digital nomad style. I want to take my laptop and work, I don't know, three months, four months, completely remote. Is that part of the culture? It's a it's a personal question I'm asking myself because I see this more and more. I see friends asking me, like, is this a trend? So if someone can pick a laptop and work three months from wherever Colombia, 
why should someone that's now home come to the office three times a week? So are you seeing these conflicts as well? Or do you have a really rigid decision around how work gets done today? I mean, we definitely see the discussions and it, and it's I think it's evolving, right? Everyone, I think every company is is learning as we go and as they implement different strategies. So that, that's something what I mentioned before is treating the culture like a product, right? We said, hey, uh, here's our initial approach, but we're, we're going to wait and see how it works out and, and watch the dynamics, see how how engagement is and how how the results are from the different um you know, based on on the different uh, components, and we have we have we have some flexibility in the sense that some people are fully remote, but we have a you know we have a process for that where we we say hey you need to sort of meet certain there need to be certain elements in your job like people that manage teams it, it's harder for them to be fully remote and so there are certain components that we would look at, but I think overall as a company we our leadership team and I'd say most people support that we see value in in being together right it brings a certain energy it brings what we call co-creation it's one of our core values as well and, and I see that really supported in in face-to-face interactions um, I agree I think there's value in showing up in the office I think two to three times a week makes sense to give some sort of a balance but I also agree that around that culture if someone now wants to work personally this is for me I'm not saying it should work for any company probably doesn't work for every team within the company so I think this is where leaders step in and I trust their judgment if someone in their team now says hey my girlfriend my boyfriend my spouse personally you know I I want to go work from whatever beach or uh, whatever mountain for for a few weeks I'm generally okay with it um, again we still have that center come to the office when you're here we want to see you we want to engage with you we want to grab beers or wine with you whatever uh, uh, makes you tick uh, but if you want someone to something to break the routine to keep your energy level up and you know go for a few months once a year it's like, personally for me it works yeah I mean I would say maybe not a few months but maybe a few weeks <laughs> and, I, and you know what? she's like don't push it don't push it it's too much <laughs> No, I think I think you need to have some structure. It's not, you know, it's not about controls. But I, what I, what I find interesting is that we, you know, at Asana pre-pandemic, we were already very flexible, right? And I think that's a lot of tech companies have that. It's like about impact, right? It's not about FaceTime showing up in the office. It's like, what do you really, what do you deliver, and how do you help? Uh, achieve the mission and 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 deliver work, great work. So you have the flexibility, right? If you have a, a nine-year-old son, if I want to volunteer in the classroom on a Friday morning to help with art class, I, I have that flexibility. So it's not like oh, we now have three to four days back in the office, and I'm you know I still have that flexibility. So I, I wouldn't, I don't want to confuse that. But I think. In general, like our approach is that we we feel that we really value FaceTime together to to collaborate and and have reflected that in the way we we expect our teams to show up and come back you know and, and return to work. Each company and each person has to find <laughs> the right balance yeah, and relationship exactly, exactly. between the yeah. two. So this is exactly what it's all about. And I will you know I always say it's trust. When Shahar trusted me to go for three weeks, I felt much more engaged and on mission. So just kind of a shout out <laughs> to people. Absolutely. Yeah. not to allow it then it has a benefit so anyway Lotte this um, we're actually coming to an end uh, last question for the show it's what we always ask each guest that is here what kind of main advice you would want to kind of share with the audience with other um, managers on how to successfully uh, scale a team can be a tip a trick an example from your life yeah I, I think it's going to be hard to say something that hasn't been said but in my in my view I would say you know 
always think ahead, uh, far ahead, and, and keep coming back to your mission to drive your, your strategy uh, and execution and create clarity around your goals. Make sure that people feel empowered to move fast. And I, I do think that the culture component that I mentioned earlier is important. Like be intentional about your values, the people you hire, and the dynamics you create uh, within your team. And uh, Because in the end, I think culture drives uh, business success. Culture drives business success. Now I like that. Uh, that should be on a poster somewhere. We'll, we'll see to that. Lotte, thanks you so much. Thanks for being here. It was great having you with us. And to all our listeners who've dialed in to listen to a Dutch from California and two Israelis from Tel Aviv. Thanks for being here with us. Feel free to write to us, share thoughts with us and on the episode. And generally, we're already excited to the next episode of How I Scaled My Team. Lotte, thanks again. It was great having you. Thank you. Thank you for having me.